0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. This week on Meetin 3, we're exploring the culinary wonders of urban New Jersey with a tour through Newark. We speak to Frank Mentisana at Phillips Academy
0: Public Charter School. This idea of family style and made from scratch lunches continues to be a bit of an anomaly in the city.
1: We also hear from Gil Speyer from All Points West Distillery.
0: Newark used to have an incredibly rich beverage alcohol history.
1: And we'll tour Aero Farms, the world's largest indoor vertical farm.
2: We're growing using 390 times more productivity
1: than field farming and 95% less water. Tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network to be amazed at the wonders of Newark. That's Meet Plus Sign T H R E E, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. Today, my guest is Khauser Ahmed. Born in Karachi, Pakistan, Khauser is a food stylist, chef, and cooking instructor with over 20 years of experience in culinary arts. The Karachi Kitchen is her debut cookbook and features the author's favorite recipes from the crossroads of South Asia. Khauser is best known for her work through Kitchen Craft an organization she founded in 2009 that offers free nutrition and cooking workshops to women and youth in high-risk communities around Karachi with the goal of promoting healthy eating and hygiene habits amongst impoverished families. Welcome to the show, Kowser.
3: Thank you, Sari, for having me here.
2: Thank you so much for being here. And I know you're uh, on a whirlwind tour, perhaps, Mm -hmm. of the East Coast, hailing from... You just told me you're here from Seattle, mm-hmm. kind of by way of Karachi. <laughs>
3: um,
2: yes. So I'm so pleased that you could make time to come all the way to Bushwick. Oh, and I'm, I hope the pizza will be worth it.
3: Oh, yeah. No. And, you know, uh, talk, chatting with you is worth it. More than uh, that, I think.
2: Well, the pizza and I are hopefully <laughs> on par. Um, well, congratulations on your cookbook. Thank it you. It looks beautiful. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your upbringing in Karachi
3: and the kind of food that you ate when you were growing up. So I was born and raised in Karachi, you know uh, my education was in one of the best uh, British schools over there. and um, I come from a family of uh, educators and activists and extremely empowered women. And my father was a chemical engineer, but he really really focused on education and he helped to set up a lot of uh, schools over there. In the underprivileged areas, mostly, you know, he had a group of uh, business friends who would um, support him and fund it. And with that, my mother was, um, although by the time you know I grew up, she was um, a housewife, but she was also an extremely adventurous lady who had been in the navy and who had, you know, um, been through a lot of adventures in her life and food was always the major part of my growing up because uh, you know i remember especially my grandma my uh, maternal grandma she was an extremely empowered young uh, you know young lady then and after partition when they came down to pakistan she was the first lady who uh, launched a magazine for women so she majorly promoted women empowerment and she believed that women can be much more than just sitting in the kitchen and cooking and serving families. She would bring them out. How was how that
2: work that she did uh, received by people in her community or by her family? Was there any pushback on
3: that? well she was a very strong-headed woman <laughs> so i wouldn't say that she really cared you know <laughs> what anybody thought so she she was the one who set up the first printing press from her home wow yes she did and she um uh, was an amazing cook so i would say that you know multiple things multiple memories i have from that Uh, growing up with her around her with my aunts who were as strong as her she would have a printing press she would cook just phenomenal food and the aromas that would come out of the kitchen and the way she we would sit on the floor actually and eat she would just have a mat and we would sit there and the interesting thing is that it was like so safe uh, at that time she would go for a walk every day and by the time she got home, she had a couple of people or women she met on the way, chatted with them, brought them back to eat. So for me, um, I, you know, it was, uh, I, uh, food is like, I feel it's bridging gaps. It doesn't really matter who you are, what culture you're from, what religion you're from. It is it is one thing that just gets, you get together and gets you talking stories um, and you know similarities and there are more similarities uh, amongst each other and you know my father was a foodie as well he traveled the world and my mom would be like cooking in the kitchen and you know um, there is one particular recipe in the cookbook which is um, the you know uh, other than a lot of them uh, the cake you know somebody asked me that how would you relate to um, putting a recipe of a cake in there? And I said because my, uh, well, I was growing up and there was a bakery which launched over there and my mom said, you know, I love this Black Forest cake and I want to learn how to make it. There was no net, there was nothing. I don't know how she figured it out. She got a recipe and she had no oven. So there were tandoors who would make naan. There were these guys who would make them. So she would go and get the naan from them. And one day I see her making the batter, putting it in the cake pan and going in the car to the tandoor. And she told the guy that you have to bake this for me. (laughs) So, you know, so that's how closely I've been connected to food, to culture, to relationships, to stories around the food. When did you start cooking? I started cooking. I think I must have been 12 or 13. I mean, um, at that time, Friday used to be a holiday. So I just had to. It was compulsory that I had to make something or the other. It could be a salad. It could be, you know, um, I, 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 I my, my favorite thing at that time would be uh, this spicy potato salad, which I made nearly every day. But I think it must have been around 12 or earlier that I started.
2: I was um, so interested reading your book to think about what Karachi cuisine is because I feel like um, there's finally starting to be a conversation in the United States about regionality Mm -hmm. when it comes to Indian food. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of, of an awareness that's just started to percolate about, you know, there's not just, you know, it's not monolithic. There's not just one Indian food. It's not all just... Right. you know chana masala there's northern there's southern there's there's seafood and i don't think that that's begun yet um with pakistan mm-hmm. so to think about karachi what cuisine is in karachi and really just such a melting pot you know of um influences of all these different places nearby um can you just talk a little bit about regionality and what you know karachi cuisine is specifically compared to maybe other parts of pakistan
3: yes definitely so that's uh I, I would say that, you know, like you said, that um, people are very familiar with the Indian food. And I think that was one of the reasons that I uh, wanted to launch the Karachi Kitchen. And, um, you know, growing up also, Karachi is a multicultural city. And it is, um, you know, I think, one of the largely largest populated cities probably in the world. And, of course, Pakistan. And... Um, We are the hub of, of course, sitting at the port, and then we have influences from Persia, from China, from Afghanistan, from India, of course, you know, as partition, uh, after partition, when people came down like my family and so many other families over there, they brought in so many flavors and so many distinct and different cultures over there that it is a combination, I would say, of um, about maybe 20 different cultures over there and the flavors and then you have the um the spice root or the silk root that comes out from there and the persian flavors where we get the saffron from and then we you know the rice puddings from and the Mughlai cuisine which comes down from india which was originally over there and um uh, we have you know um Just to name a few, I would say, we have the amazing Parsi community over there. We have uh, um, the Persian community over there. And we have a community from Afghanistan as well over there. And the flavors, are, I would say, extremely distinct and completely different from if you start moving towards the northern side of Pakistan. Uh, we have um, a lot lot of combination, as I said, of spiciness over there and mild flavors as well. Whereas if you w- move on to the northern side, the flavors become more subtle and um, flavorful, but not as spicy or aromatic. Mm-hmm.
2: What would you say are some of the hallmark dishes? Like if you wanted to introduce someone, or are you maybe even just give them the highlights of what's mm-hmm. in your book to mm-hmm. say, you know, these d- dishes most embody where i come from what would a few of those be
3: well you know um talking about my book i have um, a recipe of uh, beef tenderloin uh, which comes down generations i mean my great grandmother made it and it's li- the the highlight of that dish i would say and a lot of dishes that uh, were cooked by my ancestors and which come down is that they would dry roast the spices and uh, dry roast them, grind them, keep them fresh and use them fresh. And uh, use the mortar and the pestle uh, on a stone and grind them on that. So I would say that recipe really, really takes, just takes me back into my childhood. And uh, then I have the dahi baras over there uh, in, in my cookbook also, which come down generations. And, um, and, and the carrot delight which is like, I would say that that is a recipe. It's a dessert made out of carrot, extremely aromatic, and it's slow cooked in milk and in saffron, and then it's stir fried in ghee. And each person, each household has a different recipe. It, that's that funny. That Carrot
2: Delight recipe was so surprising to me to read and think about. It really took me a moment to wrap my mind around all of those flavors, mm-hmm. um, especially because it's a dessert uh, and it's not carrot cake. I mean, it really is mostly carrots. It's, it's not, carrots. there's no flour in it, right? It sounds so delicious and just, you know, unique to anything that I've ever tried before.
3: Yeah, so that is um, that is a dish in particular. I mean, now every household makes it. And that reminds me, you know, each year in Pakistan, winter time is the time for carrots to be in season. So my mother would make it in bulk and she would like freeze it also. And then at... It is the most popular dish um, on weddings. In Hmm. winter, you go to a wedding and I crave to have a wedding carrot halwa because (laughs) the flavors are completely
2: different. Just the idea of there being a dessert uh, with a vegetable as Uh the main component is, you know, it's just very unconventional the way Americans think about what a dessert can be. Yes. But it really, it sounds delicious. Yeah,
3: it is. It's Mm -hmm. it's really good. Um, It's great. It's
2: like, you can trick the kids (laughs) with dessert with carrots. Um, So when did you come to the United States?
3: So I um, came to the United States. I didn't move here. My my kids came here first Mm. for education, all three of them. And uh, for higher education, they came into universities over here. They did their A-levels from Pakistan, Karachi, and then they came here. Each one of them, first my oldest daughter, then my son, and then my youngest daughter. And then I started visiting as well. And then it just uh, grew into uh, something, you know, my heart is here, my soul is there, that sort of a thing, that, you know, in between, that my kids are here. And then I started coming here started working here. And I found and I felt that I, I, you know, I was into food, but professionally in Pakistan you don't have the opportunity to actually really become a chef because we don't have um, you know high-end culinary schools over there and uh, so I would say that 2009 2007 actually was the year that I moved here for a few years and then I started studying and then I really got into the culinary field, and I got the exposure, I think, which I had dreamed of, you know, all my life. And uh, so then I've been back and forth, but um, it's been tough. But I would say that the biggest achievement I feel I've made is I've kept myself global, because I came here and I didn't just come here to sit in a room I'm, you know, the adventurous person I am, I wanted to study, I wanted to learn, I wanted to work in commercial kitchens, I wanted to meet chefs, so it's 2007 and up till now I'm, you know, I've, and I just recently, about three weeks back, I moved to Seattle.
2: Wow. <laughs> Can I just ask a question to your point about what you were saying uh, in Pakistan, that it's really hard to become a chef, mm-hmm. or there's really no such term, maybe? Or is it is that just a matter of perception? Because obviously, there's restaurants there. Um, so what do you call, I guess, the people cooking in the restaurants? Or is that just a matter of because there's no sort of high end culture there? It's just not seen...
3: It's just maybe not taken as seriously? Is that what you meant? Well, um, no, I w- I'll let me explain that. So, you know, we've always ha- always had restaurants over there. You know, you would call them the street roadside cafes and things like that. And they would be like the co- uh, local cooks over there and who locally learned uh, with time and experience and coming down generations. You know, they learned and uh, then gradually, you you just right now you see a burst of these high end restaurants opening up over there. For that in particular, those people have got in chefs from America. Italy, France, you know. So
2: you meant more there just wasn't an education opportunity.
3: Yeah. So you don't really have, uh, you have local culinary schools over there who can teach you only to a point. And, um, but, but the trend has started. So it's interesting that I am, you know, um, I would call I would call myself a culinary, you know social activist in that form because I didn't want to just stick to a commercial kitchen or just be uh, called a chef. i I'm, I'm an educator. You know, like my father, you know, I I, I uh, ventured into professionally being trained as an educator as well uh, in early childhood education and working with uh, older K-12 kids um, on mentoring them. So I, my goal turned into walking into communities, you know, I wanted a change. I said, how do I bring out chefs? How do I set up a culinary school over here, which... Um, these kids can take advantage of how do I change the mindset over here? Because the mindset has been from the first day that, oh, it's a woman's job to go into the kitchen. Not anymore. I mean, you know, it's really, really, I mean, it's amazing how it's changed. So I work with low-income communities, and I go into communities where nobody would want to set foot in, Hmm. you know, dangerous communities. And I've worked with women, empowering them, working on hygiene, um, their cooking and baking skills, teaching them how to bake on a stove and, um, you know, healthy eating habits and confidence. You know, these are women who, are, who have talents. You just need to bring them out and then I help them to set up businesses and I help them to ultimately cater, you know, their food to bakeries. And then I moved into community schools where I have around, right now, I have around four to five hundred students over there. And um, my idea was when they asked me to come into the community schools, I said to the government that, you know, I will come if you make it a policy that the boys will also be in home economics because it's a huge no-no for the boys to be in home economics, that, you know, they can't be learning cooking, they can't be um, stitching, they can't be, you know, doing textile. But of course, with time, everything is changing. I said, no, if you change it, I'm there. And it took me a year, but they changed the policy. So I have more boys right now. I set up, in the largest community school over there, I set up a home economics department. And um, you know, I have a whole curriculum, which is social skills, tolerance, cultures, people from around the world. I just wanted to open up their minds and tell them that it's, it's you know, this is a career path you can take. And if you don't want to take, the, take it up as a career path, you can also just open up your minds and get to know cultures and cuisines from around the world. And as we speak right now, I um, am uh, under construction at the same school um, we have a culinary school building up, and that will be my dream to have the first free culinary school in Pakistan. Wow. Yeah, so you're so you're based here now,
2: but you have so much going on mm-hmm. in Karachi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then KitchenCraft is uh, integrated into the education program you were just talking about. Yes, it is. Okay, so um with this program that you started, KitchenCraft, craft, um, how how is nutrition perceived in Pakistan or in Karachi? How does it relate to food um, in a way that is similar or different to the United States? And I'm just asking about, like when you go into underserved communities, is it sort of similar to the way it is here? Like the, when you go into... S- areas um, in the United States and they tend to be impoverished areas. Food access is a problem and it has to do with having access to fresh, you know, produce and vegetables and there's, you know, more opportunities to eat processed foods that are cheaper And obviously junk foods. Is it similar? Is it the same kind of issues that they're struggling with? Because when I think, you know, outside the U.S., like there's not the same sort of rampant issues with Mm. processed junk foods. Obviously, there's more whole foods in other places and they just don't have that same sort of issues related to like industrialization and commercial foods the way that we do in the United States. How, How skewed am I on that perception?
3: So that's a great question because, you know, I, I, um, I've had an opportunity to actually research and uh, compare because, you know, working in Pakistan and then I've, I've worked over here as well, uh, especially in San Francisco uh, with community schools, teaching them. So I wanted to see the similarities and the differences. And I would say that so many similarities rather than differences because in pakistan also it's um, you know that they, they have started to but they don't really know about hygiene they would eat junk food they have uh, in schools they have these little canteens over there they would buy only junk food. So
2: truly the same issues. I mean, same there's junk issues. food in the school. Yes. They can get it in the yes. machines. Yes.
3: And then over there, I would say that's a little, you know, it's a bigger issue because right outside the school gate, you have street vendors over there. Mm. And those street vendors will, are not going to be, uh, the more, most hygiene conscious people. So, you know, I, uh, it's quite a mission for me as well, because I'm I'm tr- obviously I don't want them to be out of jobs, but I'm trying to, you know, develop them to have hygiene habits also. which is So you're trying to, to educate
2: the vendors as much as, as you well. are the students. Yeah,
3: but it's it, that's a tough one, I would say. But, you know, there are similarities because it's, it's the same issue.
2: Hmm. How are you doing all of this? It just sounds like there's so much.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, once I was always working, but once my kids, um, you know, went abroad and they were here and uh, my friends used to say, you're crazy, (laughs) you work so much. And then with time, I think, um, you know, I'm really good at management, I would say that, you know, I'm very organized and I can do multiple things. Uh, Luckily, I'm very lucky, very fortunate. I think I take it from my... Um, grandma, my mother, my father and um, I do multiple things at a time but I'm also very blessed that you know over there like in Pakistan I have I don't have a big team but I have one major lady who I actually she was brought up in our family Uh, her father used to work for my aunt and then she adopted her so I pulled her out of a very very depressing environment and I said to her, just join me. And she's been with me for six years. And I tell you, she's my right hand. Mm-hmm. So she does a lot of my work now. But, um, but it's a beautiful journey, you know. I, I, I think I just manage it, time management. Of course, every, every, you require everything, right? And I do, I do also mentor. So I have multiple kids in my life that I literally adopt. <laughs> Well, they're lucky to have been adopted by you. We're going to take a quick
2: break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Food Without Borders, and we've been speaking with Kazar Ahmed.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese. A pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement, Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning Alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise and affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Schwa was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit RothCheese.com.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and we've been speaking with Khauser Ahmed. She's the author of Karachi Kitchen. Welcome back, Khauser. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So what what are you doing? I mean, you have so much that you're doing in Karachi. What are you doing in the United States um, right now to teach people about Karachi and the kind of food that you grew up with?
3: So um, when I launched my cookbook in 2017, you know, I, uh, the idea was not to just launch it and forget about it uh, because it's a self-published book and my oldest daughter, Sada, who lives in Seattle, she managed the whole project. So she is the backbone behind it and she is the one who pushed me into it, basically. So the idea was to bridge the gap, you know, between um, the Pakistani food culture, and let everybody know how different and unique it is, the flavors. So, I started food tours, and I've been, I started off with my launch event in Seattle at Curuchos and it was a pop up dinner. It was like completely sold out. And then a couple of uh, other classes over there. I'm working with the PCC community market over there uh, on a regular basis and um, I have uh, you know I'm starting off in April and I'll be having weekend classes and they're all based out of you know my cookbook and uh, non-cookbook recipes also because the typical recipes you know I would I wanted to uh, bring them I've had author talks and I've been working with CCAP careers in culinary education which has been an absolute pleasure working with them and I did a huge fundraiser for them as well it was a private pop-up dinner I did for them and um, you know talking about the Karachi cuisine and how you know the cultures and um, you know bringing it all together and um, then I am I'm in New York I mean you know over these uh, two years I've been traveling to do different um, classes different talks I was just in New Jersey uh, Bed Bath & Beyond I did a demo over there and you know I, I'm a people's person I love talking <laughs> I love meeting people you know I think that every you know you there's so much to talk about and when I tell my story the most interesting thing is that uh, which obviously I discovered that people relate to me and they say, "Oh my gosh, you're talking about your childhood. You're talking about your family, which means so much to you. You're talking about the flavors and the importance of the food and the flavors and the culture in your life. I remember this happened to me, and this, you know, I can really relate to it. So, um, I, I'm leaving for San Francisco um, tomorrow. I have uh, two classes over there, and you know, it's it's been a beautiful journey. I would say I'm." Um, collaborating uh, with the Museum of Food Uh, in September. I'm having a huge um, exhibition over here with them, and I'm really looking forward to that. The one here in New York? Yes, in New York, Mm -hmm. having that. So it's, um, you know... I, I feel I'm just getting started. Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> it. Uh,
2: what do you think when you talk to people in the United States? The the general perception of food from Pakistan is, and then what are you sort of aiming to teach them? You know, with the work that you do and with your cookbook.
3: So um, the perception, I would say that when I started, it's you know changing because uh, people would say, "Oh, Pakistani food? Is it the? Are you talking about Indian food?" Because Indian food is very popular, more popular over here. And I would say that, you know, we were one and we all are one. But, I, you know, what I do want to focus on uh, are the different flavors we carry and our different provinces, uh, which have very, very different and distinct flavors. And talk about um, the evolution and the revolution in food over there in Karachi and in Pakistan and show the beautiful side of Karachi and Pakistan over there as well. You know, talk about chefs, uh, talk about um, you know, if I'm I'm doing my culinary program in Pakistan, then I have a, you know, a lot of people uh, like like CCAP also, you know, they they exchange uh notes working on curriculums with me. So I would say I've I I have a way deeper goal than just going around and only talking and selling my book it is bringing cultures together it is telling them more about you know who we are we are all similar we are all one and sitting around the table everyone shares the same stories
2: yeah and I mean to that point it's it's pretty crucial that you are doing that those kinds of um, conversations having those conversations right now and doing that kind of outreach as you know and you know you mentioned you started coming over here in 2007 2008 and it was such a different time obviously because our administration changed Mm -hmm. how does it feel to you know really have just put roots down in the United States now and to see your children um growing up here in the United States as opposed to Pakistan do you have any mixed feelings about that
3: well you know um I I would say that I sent my kids here at a very good time you know I did not uh, initially it was like you know if when the kids were small we should move here that's not what I wanted to do I wanted the kids to do high school over there and instill the culture and the values that you know as much as I could instill over there and then transition over here in universities um and I I would say that I, I it's, it's been a beautiful journey. It, the toughest was sending my first daughter over here. It was really tough and you know, everybody was saying that, oh my gosh, you're sending your daughter there. How could you do that? But I've seen them work hard. I've seen them keep the same values, and I've seen them,, um, you know, explore and know their limits be successful in their careers. And I'm a very proud mom. Do you ever worry,
2: though, that they're going to have to explain themselves because they're from Pakistan? I mean, just because there's so much rhetoric that's out there, sort of, in in the ether at this point in time?
3: Uh, Well, you know, I guess I'm I'm sure they've already been there, done that. Hmm. And uh, they are probably past that stage. And um, I, I... I would say they all are like me, you know, um, very positive. And, you know, if anything like that comes their way, um, they would not really, you know, worry about it too much. And I would say the breaking the cultural, I would, my, my oldest daughter is married to an amazing, um, boy from Seattle. He's an American. And, um, you know, when, uh, she told me that I like him. I want want to marry him. Of course, you know there was a lot of um, from one part of the family. It was like, oh no, you know, blah blah blah. That oh, how can she be? And I was all for it. I loved him. And then of course, you know, in my family, own family, I I have cousins and I have nieces who are married to American boys and uh, British boys as well. So um, I think we just probably just broke the cultural barriers <laughs> in our own ways. And I think my kids did that too. They've been very smart that way. Well, it sounds like they had very good examples.
2: <laughs> um, Kazur, tell us where we can find your work, find your cookbook, follow follow what you're doing on your many travels
3: around. Yes, so I'm... Well, my cookbook is available on Amazon, the Karachi Kitchen. You'll be able to find it there. And it is... Um, Available all over the world. So anyone can, you know, get it. And then you can follow me on my Instagram pages, which are the Karachi Kitchen and Kitchen Craft Studios. So on Car- the Karachi Kitchen, I would say I post more of uh, recipes and things I'm doing this side of the world. And the Karachi Kitchen is a lot more of what is happening in Pakistan and my, you know, personal life as well. And um, I ha- I also launched... Um, food videos which is happybelly.world and that's a Facebook page if you want to catch some really really yummy recipes (laughs) and you know I still have to work more on that we are in the process of doing that and then you know when you go on to my Facebook page you it'll take you to a link to my website and you'll find all my work over there. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm excited to follow you and see your adventures on both sides of the world.
2: <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Was, thank
3: you so much for having it's me. It's really my pleasure.
2: Um, thank you all for listening. Find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, and of course here on heritageradionetwork.org.